Hey, hey, hey. Um, so the Outer Brook podcast effectively. We're just gonna ignore that. You know, I was on man. I was thinking about I was just like my man over here acting like fat Albert, but I'm gonna let it slide. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. Hey, let's do it. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Well, I mean, we could just keep going and I can cut this. I can cut this. Oh, okay. Um, let me do that over. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> you suck, you suck, you suck. Let me stop doing that. Hey, hey, hey. Okay, okay, okay. Right, yeah. Oh, my just God. Just breathe in normally. You don't have to be old. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was trying to pull a Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, so the Adelberg podcast for this, starting this week, Will be every two weeks. Um, our goal is to give you more uh, concentrated work, but in the meantime, we'll have more posts on IG. We'll be more interactive, and just expect more every week. Yeah, yeah and maybe some other stuff too. We're still kind of in the works with it. We're not really sure everything we're going to do for you, whether it's going to be maybe something that we'll put on YouTube as well or or other platforms. But you can definitely expect something more on. Uh, IG, yeah. Um. So yeah, it, we're we're just trying this out as a test, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we can always go back to the one week thing. Who knows? Yeah. Let's know how y'all like it. Yeah. Support. Comment. Welcome, 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 welcome. It's the Outerberg Podcast. We are hello. back. Hello, hello. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Blessed and well favored. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Always. And we are black, y'all. Blackity black, black. Oh, oh, I thought you said we are back. I was about to say, I I, I, I was waiting for the we're back, y'all, and we're black, y'all. I was waiting for the blackity black. That's what I was waiting for. That's what I thought was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're black, y'all. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, as y'all know, Black History Month, February, February. Yay. February. Yeah, yeah. One so, time of the year we're celebrated. But uh, This month mm-hmm. we are celebrating and honoring a couple of uh, influential figures, you know, in black, um, black history, whether it's Black, Africa, Afro-Latino, you know. There's Black people that have, you know, made amends for us, that have done a lot for us. So... You know, I think it's uh, important that we did this because uh, when I brought the idea, it was just like, ding, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like I was so excited when you uh, brought this to us. I was like, yes, finally, we get to do something that's a little bit, um, you know, giving back a little bit, even though it's indis- indirectly. Yeah. Uh, it's a little different for us um, than the usually current events um, that we've been doing for the past, what, four or five months? Yeah, three and a half months. Yeah, yeah. So um this is a special episode. And I think uh we'll start, you know, we'll start um with the entertainers. So I think Chris got one. Got a good one. I do, I do. I start off, I start us off here and I uh my first person here for entertainers was uh BB King. BB King, King of Blues, you know, mm-hmm. had a lot of uh influences on the world. If you listen to music in any genre today. You've probably definitely heard like something sampled from him. I'm 90% sure because he was like, if you ever hear his like guitar riffs or anything, like you've you've heard of BB King riff if if you've heard any song with a guitar, basically. 
Honestly. Like just a lot of like of your favorite guitarists will say like they've like modeled their their way of playing mm. for their genre from BB King. Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, of course, always like a blues guy. Yep. But it's just like just that was just how good he was. Yeah. He transcend he transcended genres and just ages ages between people because even I think I, f- I forget who I think it was Slash. Mm. Oh, rock wow. and Slash. Yeah. Huh? yeah, I think I think it was Slash. Slash from um pretty sure it was Metallica or something. I think so, yeah. And uh he was I think he was on stage with BB King one time playing, you know, it was just pretty 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 impressive guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh so impressive that uh basically his career spanned for a little over five decades, you know, a little over fifty years. In fact, in 1956, he was so like in high demand that I think it was let me look here. Yeah, three three hundred and forty-two appearances on stage oh. in one year. Nineteen oh, forty-two. Yes, wow. or nineteen fifty-six. Nineteen fifty-six. Nineteen fifty-six. That's sick. Yeah. especially a black man. Is that? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I mean, that was what um, I was right around when JB was starting, actually. Um, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. yeah, no, and like uh, he basically was just phenomenal, like his entire career. Even he, I, th- I believe he was in England when he first met her, and yeah. a, a few met times he actually met the uh, Queen of England, yeah. Elizabeth II. Yeah, the one and she became a fan of his music. And I was talking to this about my mom, uh, with my mom. She said he even made a few like English versions where he like included the Queen in it. Yo, I looked for them, but I couldn't find any clean ones, like, like uh, clean ones where it just like clearly was that was his record. But mm. there, there, there's like uh, online records for it and everything. Yeah, and it's just he was just an overall impressive guy. That's really cool. Oh, like that, that, I heard about him growing up, but you know, it's just one of those things you never actually look into. Yeah, um, it's just like I, I mean, for me, like the reason I know about BB King so much already. Just in general, because like I just said, like my mom knows about him, my dad knows about him. Basically, anybody from Mississippi <laughs> yeah. just yeah, knows, knows about BB King. He's probably, he's probably the most. He's probably one of the like top like famous people out of Mississippi. Easily, yeah. I believe. I would say this: uh, those royalty checks, big. But um, yeah, BB yeah. King, BB King, man. Um, in music, you take a lot from what he did because. You know, for him at that time period to be that the Queen of England, yeah. come on, man. Yeah, exactly. Like he, he's <laughs> he, he's like from Jim Crow South, man. Like he's yeah. from Mississippi, no less. <laughs> yeah. Like at that time, it was like really hard for Black folks. So for him yeah. to be that to go to that length. Yeah, which is also why I kind of like uh, just gonna use that as a segue here. Mm-hmm. For uh, he was like super big into like uh, like advocating for prisoners. Because like he's 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 from that era where like you you arrested for being black, and he was not he never got in trouble he never had any trouble with the law or anything like that in any like big or major way or anything, but he figured like just being from the era he in being a black man in general in America, it could have was been him as anybody else, so he you know he would often like play for like prisons or anything and he was often like teased for this ideology but it didn't bother him because he felt like he was doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I had a quick question for you. Did he write um, Little Richard? I'm sorry, um, Lucille. Yes, yes, he did. Oh, okay. That's why. That's one of his most favorite, most famous songs. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's one of my favorites. I was just mm-hmm. um, looking him up again because I was like, I know this dude. Why don't I know any of his music? Lucille. Oh, there you go. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I'm sure, like, if you if you ask your grandparents, they have an encyclopedic knowledge of totally. Yeah, I love that um, blues and jazz kind of stuff. They're from Mississippi, yeah. and oh yeah, um, see, there you go. Yeah, see, particularly um, <laughs> Vicksburg and stuff. So yeah, okay. Yeah. I think my father had uh, my dad was a like a universal fan of music, so he did play like BB King, like jazz and blues music. One thing about his music specifically. It's very chill. It's very uh, something you can just relax to. <laughs> yeah, it's just like to me, like when 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 you say like soul music, like if you listen to BB King, that is soul music. Like you can feel that all over your body, right there. You know, him and uh, uh Bill Withers, and I, I and maybe maybe it's because like I grew up listening. To like them, like my whole life, because again, like my my parents were like huge. Well, especially my dad's like a huge blues fans, yeah. you know. And it's just it's like that that that's that's almost like comfort food to me. Like I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna listen to it every day, but when I do, like I I, I love it. I do. You said you 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 said Bill with this lovely day, lovely lovely day. But yeah, um, that, that's a dope one you picked. You know, um. Very, uh, I, th- I think the general public would know B.B. King. Yeah. Know I feel like you know, they would know his influences. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they definitely know his influences. Yeah, most definitely. Um, But just to segue to my pick, I picked Little Richard. Yes, a um, close, bad, not like a bad, wow, wow. Um, yeah, what I just said. Uh, you know, it's just something about musicians from that that era. Yeah, um, they yeah. have a certain, you know, magnetic pull, a charisma. You know, yeah, and yeah. Help them, you know, just continue to climb. You know, yeah. well, you know, from Miles Davis, Little Richard, you know, BB King, Jimmy, you know, just everybody else in yeah. between. So I'm not gonna yeah, keep um, talking, but yeah, yeah. But uh, I picked Little Richard because I felt like when we talk about um, certain entertainers. He's never mentioned. Yeah. And he really does need to be mentioned. Like, Little Richard came in a time where, like you said, Jim Crow. Yeah. Right? Like, his style and music, and in, especially because he's the king of rock and roll, people. He's the king of rock and roll. It's not yeah. a white person. It's a black person. Listen. <laughs> oh, that was. Yeah. Um, he, he was the first person, like, especially in black music that was like flamboyant. Yeah. Very flamboyant. Like yeah. he brought, yeah, he brought a mixture of, he was like really one of the first entertainers that could bring black and white people. They felt comfortable with him just yeah. because he was that, that flamboyant. And yeah. And I was about to say like, just like back, back in the day, cause I watched a lot of like documentaries on this and like, even like, I know maybe most people don't know this, but like Flip Wilson, Mm-hmm. He would also like do like a thing like where he would like dress and drag or more feminine. So like yeah, that way more more people will like feel drawn into him because he feels less threatening because he's dressed like that. Yeah, that's and just like it even expanded into like people for like like Little Richard and stuff like that too. Yeah. So Little Richard was like doing that, and a lot of people don't know. He built like I, I found out yesterday that James Brown got his break. Because he would do Little Richard impressions. 
He came out. That's how that was his act to come out as a little Richard impersonator. Yeah. Yeah. And James Brown is the king of what's it called? Like soul music. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But for him to have that role and for him to put James Brown on, that's like, you know? That's huge, phenomenal. Huge. Yeah. Like, and then Jimi Hendrix was in his band. Yeah. People don't know, people don't know that. So he put on a lot of people and I think when we especially talk about music that's very flamboyant and very edgy, the first thing we look at is Prince and uh, Rick James. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. I mean, especially Prince, because like he's just oh, yeah. like he was yeah. so he was like such a megastar, you know. But if we're being real, like that was Little Richard first. Yeah, it was. It was. And he's get he gets overshadowed by them now. He gets he really no, overshadowed like more too. If it wasn't for him, there wouldn't be like I know um people don't know this rock band. Let me give you one second. People don't know this rock band, um, Living Color. People don't know them though. Called a have you heard that song called a personality? I don't, I don't think so. Okay, okay. That that was like a big rock song by a black rock group. But it was through Little Richard that they got that opportunity. Right. Yeah. Got big. So for me, like his legacy needs to be spoken of more. Yeah. Like I said, like shoot the Beatles, Rolling Stones, they all they all copied him. Yeah. yeah. I heard Paul McCartney learned how to do sing because of like Little Richard. So like I mean, things, these things people don't know. So that, that's why I picked Little Richard. I found that very interesting, so. Yeah, I mean, rock and roll stemmed from blues music. Like, let's not forget where it came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, literally, like, uh, for if we being real, like, I just went, we just went from a generation to a generation. Like, Chris talked about BB King. <laughs> I'm talking about Little Richard, so, you know. Yeah, so that was my pick, If you know, if anybody wants to, you know, for entertainment. Yeah, <laughs> I guess since we're going um, up, you know, in a crescendo of time periods, you know, as far as decades, um, I chose somebody that was a little different, but um, I chose people that um, whose careers I found fascinating. Mm. Um, in particular, the guy that I chose to actually learn more about was Jonathan Capehart. Um, you know, he's an American journalist. He's still alive. Um, he you no, know, he went to preparatory school in 1967 and earned his, um, what was it, his, polit- his um, BA in political science. But um, one of the things that was really cool about him is he, he, he found work on the Today Show like really early mm-hmm. and he just stayed in it, you know, and he stayed and accumulated, became a news anchor. You know, he worked for WNYC Foundation, uh-huh. who supported a bunch of radio hosts. Um, he's worked with public media, NPR, BBC World Service even um, a couple of other award-winning programs. But uh, the thing I thought was the coolest um, was he received the Pulitzer Prize Award in 1999. And um, his editorial team continued to, um, I wouldn't say repair, but they um, they showed up and um, collaborated with, Har- with Harlem's Apollo Theater. So yes, that is really cool. Um, he's just been involved in such, you know, dramatic shows and it's just, uh, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, no, that's cool. I had I had no idea about any of that. That that that, that Pulitzer Award, they don't give that to black people. No, Kendrick got it, and I was like, how? 
I'm saying because black they don't give that to black people, but but yeah, that 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 is definitely ill. I, I that's like one of the people I'm not really too familiar with. So thanks for the you know. Yeah, um, he's really um well known in um the LGBTQ community uh, just mm. from his um, works and um you know just being more outspoken and being black and um you know that kind of love yeah. and appeal, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And reference. Uh, question: Was he gay? Or yes, he okay. is married to his longtime boyfriend from the former State Department, Nick Schmidt. <laughs> they got married on January seventh of twenty seventeen. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, currently I think they're still married. Um, but yeah, it was just interesting to learn more about that. You know, yeah. someone who's in the media and um, you know has just after. You get yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like that, that. That is like pretty cool too. I mean, like to be so long in like uh, like a media presence and then like basically a double minority because not only are you black but then you're also gay as well, making that, you another minority. That is a and double whammy, like, bro. That is, you know, <laughs> that is kind of like you know, and also to be like, uh, what what's I, I can't say the name of the word you guys said. I I'll try it, but I can't. Say, say it again. Pulitzer. See, I can't. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt it. <laughs> but um. <laughs> But yeah, no, definitely. Like, and just to like be in the position to not only be a dumb, double minority, but then earn that award. Mm-hmm. It's just everything, basically. Yeah. I always get this one confused with the um, Nobel Prize because they have such similar sounding names. Yeah. Um, just to go back, to piggyback off what Chris said, like to be black and also to be gay, that's like, and that, especially in that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's a whole nother can of worms, you know what I'm saying? Because like you said, double discrimination. You dig? Yeah. <laughs> yep, I am a protected class from two groups of the federal government. <laughs> yeah. You cannot fire me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kudos to him for staying strong. Because those times were definitely tough for our, our kind. Yeah, most definitely. So, yeah. But... Uh, going to the next category, I think. What was the next category? We the, have abolitionists, civil rights leaders, and I always forget the last category. But yeah, that's that's what we have. Okay, okay. Um, Chris got his. Yeah, I got mine right here. Kind of. Hold on. Oh yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> mine is uh, John Lewis. Mm. No member of uh, House of Representatives, part of the uh, member of the Democratic Party. He was uh, one of the few few proud people still alive today who marched with uh, Dr. King. Yeah, mm. he was also part of that uh, crew who who marched two by two to the Edmund Pettus Bridge mm. and was uh, beaten. And I believe I, I don't know if he was arrested, but I do know you know quite a few. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, just a lot of those guys were arrested. Yeah. And oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just remember uh, reading his statement from that time. When, and it was just like, it was just a back and forth between him and the uh, him and the interviewer. Mm-hmm. Where he was just, you know, describing the events leading up and then the up until his beating. And it was like, uh, basically, they had marched two by two. They had met together at a small church to the prayer. March two by two up to up to that point, they started in uh, Selma, and before they could even uh, cross the bridge, which was still in Selma, uh, they were met by the mayor, by the mayor of I think the neighboring town. 
I'm not, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. I didn't make that note here either. But they were also met with like the police force. And he said, you have, I think it was two minutes to turn around. And, you know, not wanting to really comply to that because they were a peaceful protest. They had the right to do what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Just as being Americans doing as they were legally allowed to do. They asked, they asked the mayor for his time. He refused the beating. They they went back and forth a while. The beating commenced. And he, he wasn't the one who was actually, I don't believe, conversing with the mayor. It was somebody else. But he was part of that crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think John Lewis, very, very uh, important in um, this Black American politics and definitely for that time, you yeah. know. Uh, we needed a voice, and um, you know, stood next to the biggest voice, which is like Martin Luther King. So, um, and like you said, like one thing that I, that's like a common denominator is sacrifice. Yeah, you know? he he understood that, like to like a very powerful degree. I don't even know how to describe it in a, any other way except powerful, just because I just he read up. You know? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, because I, I always tell, like, you know, I'm always going to tell this to the next generation. Always respect the people before you because the sacrifices they made, we wouldn't be here. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we wouldn't have what we have today. So, you know, big ups to him. Um, Did, uh, did he pass? Or yeah, he, still- he, he did uh, pass uh, in this past August, I think. Yeah. Was it last year? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, his quote that came like after he uh, told everybody that he had the stage four pancreatic cancer kind of just showed you what type of person he was. And I'll read it off here to you. Mm-hmm. His quote is saying, I have been in some kind of fight for freedom, equality, basic human rights for nearly my entire life. And he's basically just was saying like, and, and th- this was a quote just like that was taken from an excerpt saying that he was still going to be fighting like alongside people even for the uh, Black Lives Matters movement, despite being sick and everything, which he did to the best of his ability, despite being, you know, elderly uh, as as well as being a stage four uh, cancer patient. And to the bitter end, he literally was with us, which is another testament to like how dedicated he was to his uh, duties and how how strongly he felt about his civil service to America. Yeah. Um, John Lewis has always been an interesting individual, um, even from his, like, he, it's, it's just really cool seeing him in action and reading about his story. And you're like, wow, he did all this when he was my age, you know, all the stuff yeah. from the sit-ins, you know, the crazy marches, getting beat, sitting in at these, um, these, 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 these uh, rallies, you know, these things that were, people were losing their lives. It was really cool. And it's just always something interesting to see from people that um, that grew up during that time is they always have like a, a certain presence on stage. And um, even when they speak, it's like a, it's like a, um, like a shout almost, you know, and it's very, it's really cool. Um, you can see it in some of Obama's speeches um, yeah. because he models his um, narratives after that. But um, yeah, I'm not. That, it's just really cool seeing John Lewis, and it was such a shame when he passed. He was one of the um, one of the um, strongest policymakers in on the Hill at the time. Um, he was right next to Pelosi. They were good friends. 
Um, and uh, I forget who it was. A couple other uh, Republicans who respected that his, um, his service showed up to his funeral, including the Bushes. And it was just really powerful moment to see. We lost an American icon that day. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, when you go through something like that so bad that, you know, like, you, you decently good chance you may die. You may die trying to do this, and you probably and, and being being part of the movement that they were a part of, they weren't fighting back. So you're basically fighting. You're, you're basically being slaughtered with zero resistance, or you're being arrested with zero resistance. You're being beaten zero resistance, and just to have that mindset, you have to be incredibly dedicated to your task, mm-hmm. and just so so strong-willed. And the fact that he made it to like today's age basically you know it's just and and, st- and still stayed active as as he was was just truly like i don't even know how to put that in words because i honestly don't know if i had that type of fortitude to like keep doing something for for uh for, have 40 almost 50 years basically it was uh 60 65 or 67 uh great oh, what were we talking about the civil rights movement uh well, uh, civil rights movement was '68, I think. But I think like uh, when he was active, when he became uh, truly active, like '65, '64. Yeah. Um, didn't he get arrested for um, boycotting the Vietnam War or something? Probably. I mean, we got arrested a lot. Right. <laughs> but yeah, um, him, uh, I think Ali too. Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few people that um protested, including Malcolm Martin did it briefly. Um oh the darn Dalai Lama at the time did. So don't blame him, but you know. Um, but yeah, uh that's a great pick. Um segue to mine, um, who was also a strong activist. <laughs> One would say too strong for his time. Um Malcolm X. Uh Brother Malcolm. Yeah, Brother Malcolm. For me, uh what draws me to Malcolm was his growth as a man. Because uh, when he was a uh, Malcolm Little, you know, he was, you know, like every other kid at a young age, you know, doing stupid stuff, you know, selling drugs. And you know. then he wound up in jail. Then while he was in jail, I think that's where he met, a, I think, another Muslim brother who had him question everything that was going on, whether it be religion, whether it be uh, what's going on with black people. So I think, you know, when he was in jail, that, you know, which is kind of sad to say, because he shouldn't be learning, he shouldn't, you know, rehab in jail, but that got him to where I mean, he wherever he can. Huh? I mean, he still made transition. Yeah. yeah, transition to Malcolm X. So when he became Malcolm X and he uh, left jail, he was very, um, very much a black nationalist. Um, and at that time, that's not a, that was a very risque thing because it was very, uh, divided country. But my thing with him is he didn't care. He cared about what was better for his people. And his thing was, uh, by any means necessary. Yeah. You hurt mine. I'm gonna hurt you. Yeah. Uh, an, eye for, an eye for an eye. And that's, uh, a mentality that I feel as black people, we should have more. Um, you know. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's, I mean, I that's my. That's my. Opinion. I'm not go ahead. Yeah, that's my opinion. I think we should have that at times, just to 
so we don't get taken advantage of. Because I'm for, you know, what uh, Dr. King was for, but there are times where he puts foot down. So that's yeah. what no, I, I don't. I don't think they were truly like two separate entities. To be honest with you, I feel like it was. It was this like the same goal basically the whole time. At least in my eyes, yeah. it's the same goal, but yeah, just I mean, it's, going about it different ways. Yeah, same goal. Yeah. But um, I'll you know quote a couple of the, you know some of the similar quotes. Some of his quotes are very like to this day. Like um, here is one: "You're not to be so blind with patriotism that you can't face reality. Wrong is wrong, no matter who it's." who does it or says it, you know, um, nobody can give you freedom. Nobody can give you equality or justice or anything. If you're a man, you take it, you know? So he's all about, you know what I'm saying? Fight for what you want. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's, a, uh, that's how I live my life. You know what I'm saying? That's how I build, how I live my life. And my favorite quote from him is a man who stands for nothing will fall for anything. So I think with that quote, like what, how I take it is, if you're a guy, if you're a man and you don't know what you represent, anybody can sway you and you can. Yeah. And I, and I think we've seen that in our culture a lot where people don't know how, know how to identify themselves with who they are. And then Candace Owens. Oh, <laughs> like, I was you know about to say man? that's how that's how you get like stuff that happened on uh was that the sixth uh January sixth yeah where it's just like people want to be part of something so bad that they define that they start to define themselves by things that they see on the internet dub that as truth and then take conspiracy theory to be you know doctrine and then yep. just run with that yep <laughs> and then I- all of a sudden you have a terroristic attack yeah and not knowing oneself is dangerous because they can control you yeah you know so that's what um that's a that's definitely a quote i live by but his legacy you know i think what led to what happened to you know he got killed you know what led to that was obviously his him questioning everything and he wasn't scared to question anybody and i think that's what led to his downfall like questioning Elijah Muhammad, the U.S. government. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are things that, like, if you question with that energy as a Black man at that time. Yeah. I think it had more to do with the, what he was preaching. He was very Machiavellian as far as his um, approach to government and That's just true. That's views as part of the reason that he revoked Islam at the end of the day. But honestly, I do like Malcolm. I love what he speaks about. And, you know, I still remember photos of him in uh, newspapers yeah. where he's wearing a suit and tie. He has a darn SKS in his hand and he's looking out the window. Yeah. A very powerful image to say he was such an educated man. Yeah. But that, um, yeah, I, I I believe his views were a little radical, which is why I don't follow him. But it's it's interesting. Yeah, um, one would say that I I think um, not to push back on what you're saying. It's just that's why he kind of that's why what happened to him happened to him because it was for that time it was just too too strong. Yeah, way too strong. Also, think. Um, <laughs> Never mind. Oh, that's that's bearing off. Yeah. So well, I think just 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 to uh, just just to I guess add, but also not completely agree, but not disagree neither mm-hmm. to what Avery was saying. 
uh, it's just like I feel like he was that way in a sense to because like he felt like it was so drastically one way in America that he had no choice but to go completely the other way. Otherwise, it would, no progress would ever be made. Yeah, like he was he was like, you know, like how they say uh, you don't you don't uh, sell against waves you go with the wave type thing. Yeah. He was he was he was the person that would say I'm gonna take this speedboat and I'm gonna crash straight into these waves and I'm gonna see if you can stop me basically. Yeah, I mean, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I don't think in this is my opinion. I don't think he was super radical. If we're talking today, I mean, he was also like radicalized in, in like the public image as well. Yeah, yeah. They, I don't they, think, they had to make him seem much more radical than probably what he truly was. Yeah, yeah. I don't think for. for for if it's today, like some of the stuff he says today is like, I don't know, that'll be thrown out the window. Like it's no big deal, but hey, he's still black, so they're gonna look at it like, what yeah, it's like it's something. That, yeah, but in that time, way different. You do, you know what I'm saying? You couldn't really, you know. That's why I say he was a, he was ahead of his time, you know. And I think he's influenced so many like black politicians, you know, and. You know, I mean, his his legacy is seen today. I, I don't think he's celebrated as much because of the way he was radical <laughs> in their eyes, but I always celebrate him, you know? Yeah, but, um, oh, Chris, isn't it your turn? No, it's your turn. No, it's your turn. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, I totally agree. If I like Brother Malcolm personally, but... um. Yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna move on from that because <laughs> it's like it's such a like uh, such a keg ball. Um, I mean, I, I, I always say this stuff you could talk about with him. You know, I, I, I always say this. He was the one guy that very controversial. Yes, very, very controversial. Um, even like some of the stuff he says could be seen on the verge of terrorism. But hey, whatever. <laughs> and that's where, and, and that's where guys like me be like. It's like, let's put the brakes on. Yeah, let's put the brakes on. Anyway, um, I went for my favorite pick. Uh, one of the person, people that I liked um, always growing up was Frederick Douglass. Um, particularly, I just love his story. You know, it's the American rags to riches kind of tale. He's, he started off as a slave, born in 1817 in Maryland. You know, he, uh, I forgot what it was, but he was very peculiar. He liked to, you know, move around and touch things all the time. And um his, I forget the woman's name, but the slave master at the time, um, his wife taught him, taught him to read and write. So um, eventually he starts learning, starts questioning things, and he eventually grows up after being um, too educated and he decides to run away. <laughs> he runs away to Massachusetts where he um, changes his name and becomes um, Douglas, you know, after, the, what was it, the Arthurian tale, Lady of the Lake or something. But, um, yeah, so he starts writing books and, I mean, writing a paper and counting on his tail because, you know, he has, he's, he's, he's smarter than what he, he's supposed to be. And um, it eventually comes out that he was a slave and he's a fugitive and he's emancipated. So <laughs> this is 1870, you know, you can't be like doing stuff. I'm sorry, 18... Yeah, it put out the 1870s, right? So you can't doing stuff like that. So it came out. They put an arrest warrant out for him. He runs to England and he starts recounting his tale there and uh, becomes a lecturer. You know, he's in Ireland, he's in England, he's in Scotland. And then he comes back to the States eventually after he's made some money, cleared his name. He starts a newspaper, the North Star, and um, does a bunch of other stuff. But before this drags on, um, 
one of the key things with Frederick Douglass is he he's involved in just about every major American event during those like 30 year decade, you know, so he he's set on so many boards, so many groups, so many activist groups, um, and he's wrote so many countless stories and stuff, but I'm not going to name them all because there's just so many. But um, yeah, the thing I like the most about him is he's he started off as a slave, you know, as I'm from America, and he ends up as a darn diplomat to Haiti and Santo Domingo, you know, and it's just, it really says something to me that he still comes back to, you know, this is his home at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, I mean, he literally has basically the ultimate come up story. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, he literally started at the bottom and came up top. Yes. <laughs> like, he was the consulate to two different countries. <laughs> so I was like, wow, that's crazy. So, yeah, uh, Frederick Douglass is like, yeah, man, like the ultimate come up story. And, you know, for him to be a diplomat of Haiti. Yeah, Haiti. And, um, uh, it was that, it's the one next door. Yeah, no, wait. Never mind me. I'm still trying to think. Yeah, Haiti, Haiti has a history in itself with how they've dealt with America and the Western world. And it's not pretty. So for him to take that, uh, very powerful move. Yeah. Yeah. He's wrote numerous essays, um, you know, just supporting um, just Blacks in America. And um, he wrote something, one, uh, he wrote a story about about how his son could find work as a Dern, in a Dern law firm, law firm instead of um, working in a mining unit because of the color of his skin. And I'm just like, that's, that's kind of crazy to me, you know? But, um, yeah, it was just one of those things at the time. Yeah, no, and I just, I, I, I do like that you uh, highlighted him in part of this because, like, a lot of people, at least that that I've like, like, they, they, I've read a lot of books on Frederick Douglass, so they, I've, I've seen like a lot of controversy around him, especially mm-hmm. like when they're saying talking about his activism for Black people. The it, and the it always starts with, well, he was his his wife was a white woman. That's one thing we got to clear up. He married a white woman later in life. Yeah, I know, but but you know, let me let me uh, get my thing off here. My, my bad, my bad, my bad. Not good, but it's just like, but everything he literally did <laughs> was for the betterment of of the black man in America, basically. And no matter who he was with or what he was doing, it was literally for the betterment of his of his fellow. Uh, uh, well, I can't say fellow slaves because he he freed himself fellow basically. Man, you know, but, but you know, fellow man, fellow fellow uh, black man, fellow black Americans. Yeah, you know? uh, my bad for cutting you off, Chris. But no, you good. I, I was just so disgusted with that idea that just because he married a white woman later in life that you got yeah, to. I think it was, um. I think his influences um, started a little bit earlier than that because um, his slave master at the time, you know, being Caucasian, you know, talking yeah. to white, right, you know, that's like his, was his key, you know, his education wise. But I mean, so I'm going to go into semantics of why he, he thought, you know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, but but my thing is he, he did it at a late age after his black wife died. Yeah, but he was also very heavy into uh, women's rights um, and particularly during the convention of my, um, what was it? During the convention in New York, um, he met Ida, not Ida B. Wells, he did meet Ida B. Wells, but he met um, Stanton, Stanton something. 
Um, but she was a really big uh, woman for women's suffrage and women's rights and stuff. Yeah. 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 Just, I just, I do, I do appreciate, you know, hearing the, uh, Frederick Frederick Douglass being spoken of into like into a positive light because like if 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 the if the worst thing you could say about him is like he married a white woman that's not even a bad thing to say at all and granted it was you know basically illegal <laughs> back then uh, but I mean overall it's it's, it's basically you, we could just say he was a revolutionary in, in and yeah. everything that he did yeah, yeah and every bit. yeah um, literally everything he did yeah not not to harp on that Chris but people need to like. They need to find context. You know what I'm saying? They need to speak things in context because, like I said, he did this late in his life. Well, what is yeah. wrong with I mean, that? he was an old man by this time. Yeah, what's wrong? Hey, whatever. <laughs> Moving on to the last section, we decided to give you guys a little treat um, about people that you may or may not have heard of. Who would like to go first? I am sentient Chris. Sure. I already got my thing put up here anyway. Look at him. <laughs> uh, okay, so for my uh, probably lesser known black person uh, for this week anyway, it would be uh, Moms Mabley, one of the first, if not the first, uh, black stand up comedian, uh, black female stand up comedian and actress as well. She was also an actress. I don't believe she was the first black actress, but it was just, you know, part of the title. Her real name is Loretta Mary Aiken. And she actually started her career at the age of 14, and that was actually like 1908. So, you know, just extremely, <laughs> extremely uh, early. Yeah, yeah, extremely early back in the day. So basically had no real, like, room to move around at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just want y'all to think about that, but whatever. And she, doing this at 14 at, in 1908, you know, just insane, insane to me. But um, she basically actually became one of the most declarated people of her time because though, well, for, for black people, for black people, because she, she actually wasn't able to become a mainstream sensation until 1962, I think. Let's see here. You know, it just says 1960s because there's no uh, conclusive date on there, but like she was able to go on like shows like the Flip Wilson show, Ed Sullivan show, the Merv show, very others, a lot of other shows that I'm sure your grandparents watched. And she was, but before all that, she was actually a, she was declared as the funniest woman in the world. Uh, that was on the Black Vival circuit, aka the Chitlin circuit, and she basically is. If you ever watched any old school comedian, and I do mean like Rev Fox, Richard Pryor, the likes of any of them, she she is the prototype for them, <laughs> essentially. If like just almost almost everything is the same. Well, we're not, we're not we're not for Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor has has his own anomaly, but you can definitely see the parallels for his influence on or for her influence on him. And she just was basically a phenomenon in her own right. In fact, even back then, I don't have a date for this, but she was at one point uh, in her career making ten thousand dollars a week from the Apollo. I want I want you to think about that because this, I believe this was before she was actually mainstream. Cause she was already well into her sixties by the time she became mainstream. Do, um, so she's probably like 
40s. So this is probably like 1930s, 1940s that she's making $10,000 a week. Do you have the um, conversion for today? I don't. I, I try to look it up, but I couldn't find any yeah. thing that I well, yeah, well, look yeah. clean to me. Huh? Well, yeah. I, I don't have an exact year, but they just said it was like a, it like mid-career. So I'm assuming it was like 1930s, 1940s. That could that is possibly like 40 grand a week. Yeah. Yeah. So even even by today's standards, that is a lot of money. <laughs> I'm not making 10 grand a week. I take that right now. I'm not. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, it reminded me of like a meme where the guy was like, "Would you rather have three hundred million? Um, would you have, rather have three hundred thousand loyal friends or three hundred thousand dollars?" And the guy did some like crazy conversion, where he was like, "If I had three hundred thousand friends, I can make a business out of it." And then he'd be like, "I can make like four million dollars a week." And then he's like, "Who's Bozo, Jeff Bozo?" So I was thinking, <laughs> crazy, bro. Anyway, sorry, off track. Uh, go You're ahead. <laughs> You're good. You're good. No, but it's just like, I'm just, she was just extremely like influential. And I wish I could like just wax on more poetically, but it's just like, she just has a multitude, myriad of just things that she's done. And she's like influenced, like she's even influenced like a Whoopi Goldberg. Um, If if, if we're going by just pure black uh, female comedians, you could say Wanda Sykes. It, just the list kind of go, just goes on. She's, and I even like watch some of her uh, stand up myself because I, I, she's she's new to me as well, and so I just kind of watched it. And you can you can feel the Red Fox <laughs> if you ever seen Red Fox, you can feel the Red Fox immediately. Mm-hmm. That's really cool to hear. Um, you don't really uh hear much about um, female comedians. No, nah, yeah. Um, nah. So that's that's a, that's a dope one. Let alone ones that were doing it at like fourteen and like early, like early century, where still didn't have very many uh, many uh, rights per se. It's like there's uh, it's always something that's interesting. It's just like these people who are groundbreaking stuff. They're like almost wrote the book on it, you know. When you actually think about it, and they're they're a blueprint for like everybody else who follows them. So that's just really cool to hear. It's, yeah, you know. Yeah. inspirational in a way yeah you know and just like literally like because i i wish i had like better sources for you guys like on this but like it's just like everywhere i went basically said the same thing and it was just like basically just said she was a sensation and so <laughs> i'm guessing since like I, I looked at like 10 or 12 different places and all said sensation or or phenomenon since like early on i'm just i'm gonna take that because <laughs> yeah. like fair enough <laughs> Totally get it. That's great. Oh yeah. And uh I guess Peter, you next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh Kwame Nkrumah. Kwame Nkrumah. Um, not too known by I don't think people know well his legacy on Africa. Uh he was the first president of Ghana and Prime Minister. He led um, Ghana to independence in 1957. And this is at the time where Britain really just had every country colonized. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and he stood up and, I mean, like like everybody else, you know, sacrifice. Yeah. Bell, 
You know, he went through it just to get to that point for Ghana. And it was important because once he did that, that's when um, Nigeria got independence in 1960. Sierra Leone got independence, I think, in 1961. Togo, 1960. Uh, what else? Uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, 1960, yeah. they got independence. So he led that, um, he led that pack of West yeah. Africa. Mm-hmm. At that time, and what I liked about him is um, his his way of thinking was he wanted to unite Af- he wanted to unify Africa, um, and he had very um, his ideals was very what I would say it's not capitalism um, aggressive. I mean, kind of a communist way of doing things. You could just say socialist. We don't socialist, yeah, socialist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> socialist way of viewing things. And um, at that time, like I said, again, that's not a, that was very anti-Western world. Mm-hmm. Um, and by 1966, that's where um, they had a coup d'etat. But he wasn't actually in the country when it happened. He was in, um, he was, I think he was in China. When uh, I know it's over. Socialist. Uh, so, he had found out and he exiled to, I think, Romania. No, actually, no, no, no. It was, it was Guinea. He exiled to Guinea and then he eventually went to Romania where he had passed away. Nah. So, um, his time, like I said, very impactful for Western Africa because at the time, England had <laughs> that whole thing colonized. So for him to stick up his hand and say, hey, we want our, you know, our independence, it was strong. You know, it was a strong movement. So that's why I picked Kwame Kwame. And I don't think too many people um, are familiar. No. I'm, a, I'm a little familiar because at first when you said, when uh, I think when we talked about it, maybe earlier this week or last week, it wasn't on the pod. But um, I, I didn't remember the name, but as soon as you said, uh, or as soon as you started listening off the accomplishment there, I was like, okay, I do remember this guy a little bit. Because yeah. I read a book. I think talking about uh, black fi- uh, inf- uh, most influential black figures in uh, history, and he yeah. was—I believe he was part of that. Yeah, um, a lot of people came to the country at the time. Muhammad Ali, uh, Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther King—they all—they all respected him. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and rightfully so. You know, <laughs> kind of <laughs> inspiring liberation throughout a. Uh, at least the western side of the continent of Africa. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. You know, they needed it because I said England had it on wraps like this. <laughs> um, do you know like um what kind of like programs or um what kind of infrastructure he installed in the country? because I, I doubt he just um, like... I know he started the Volta Dam. Okay. The yeah, the Volta Dam, I think he started. He wanted to do more, but yet again, um yeah, he wanted to do more for the country, but like mm-hmm. certain things got in his way. And I know that there was one thing he did. Um, he was very anti-tribalism. So that's interesting. Uh, when the country got independence, and I might get a little ding from my gunners for this, but Ashanti's. Oh wow! Wow. Now, I'm, I'm an Ashanti, so like I can okay. say, Ashantis have were given prefer, uh, preferred treatment, and there was a thing where he, I think he 
well, I have to look this up again, but he set up a program that was for like anti-discriminate um, tribalism because it was rampant. Yeah. Because the Ashantis, they're the biggest tribal group in Ghana. So that, I mean, it still goes on today, tribalism. I mean, that's a thing with every- I mean, it's in every country, let's be real. Every country, you know I mean, solid capital, like six, you know, not even a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, because for me, I'm half Ghana, I'm half um, Ashanti, so. I see it both ways, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't really take a second. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I see it both ways, so. Yeah, because the Ghans are from like um, the capital, Accra. Mm -hmm. And the Shantis are from Kumase, which is like the second biggest uh, city in the whole country. So, huh. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. But Kwame Nkrumah was definitely uh, influential for this generation and the next. So, read more on Kwame Nkrumah. You know, so he's a lesser known black revolutionary. Y'all should do your, do your Googles, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> know your history. Know your history. <laughs> Honestly, um, this was really cool. Um, we could be here all day just talking about, you know, civil freedoms, revolutionary figures, musicians, yeah. entertainers, and everybody in between. Um, so I really challenged myself on this one to find somebody that I did not know about, um, or just even, you know, read about. So um, I chose, what's my girl's name? Oh, wow. I had it up here just briefly. Please bear with me. We are having technical difficulties. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I could, okay. No, no, you're fine. Like, it's, you got so many tabs open, so many <laughs> screens. Okay. So I chose Bella de Costa Green. She is one of the most prominent librarians in all of American history. She was born Belle Marion Greener, but dropped her middle name and changed it to de Costa, um, claiming Portuguese heritage to escape segregation and explain her lighter complexion. So, um, yeah, there's. Uh, she was born into a relatively affluent family. Her parents split, um, but you know, you, you just because you got a little bit of money doesn't mean you're above segregation and Jim Crow, apparently. So um, she found her way in um, Princeton. Uh, she went to Princeton Library. Oh, I'm sorry. She worked for the Princeton Library. Um, at the same time, she found work as a librarian. But um, guess who was there? It was uh, one of the Morgans. Um, mm. one of the, uh, Junius. I can't I always mess up his name, but it's the nephew of J.P. Morgan. So he was charged with um, building up the library on 38th Street, and he was looking for someone to help grow his collection. So um, it's a really long story. I'll, I can tell you guys more about it later. Um, but Green eventually started working as a stenographer for, and a librarian. So she was entrusted with millions of dollars to collect books, manuscripts, art items, and other rare materials. She traveled down the world in Paris, France, Milan, Italy, Munich, and Germany. Finally, um, she was outbidding, you know, millionaires and British museums for Egyptian manuscripts and stuff. So that stuff's yeah. pretty cool. Um, <laughs> apparently a girl got game too. She never married, but admitted affairs to, um, what was it, Morgan, a Norwegian count, a British Duke and a decade long affair with a famous art critic, Bernard Frenson, who, um, <laughs> who took her home to, um, and, um, where his, where his wife lived in Italy and they had long excursions collecting other Islamic manuscripts and mini, um, and miniatures. So, um, 
Yeah, long story short, short she burned a lot of her um, documentation so she couldn't get in, in trouble, um, you know, just for being in America and being Black. But she spent 43 years at the library, and um, yeah, there you go. That's that's really cool. Avery? What? This was an interesting one, bro. Yeah, yeah I had no clue. This yeah. is a whole... <laughs> that's like, what I thought I had to share it. That was... It was, a, it was a ride, you know. And they don't have a movie about her yet. Nope. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Like this. She, like some of the the money that she made was in the millions. Our <laughs> black woman in 1928. Yeah. So it's just interesting that they, no, we never heard of this story before, and um, it's really quite a tale. It really is. Yeah. Um. I, what was I gonna say? Her name in itself. I want to. I want to. I want to know what she looks like. One. Oh, um, she's light skin. <laughs> and two. <laughs> and two. That name. The way you said it, I was like, God, ooh, that, that sounds attractive. That. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, but um, but yeah, that's a very interesting story. Um, especially with the whole manuscripts thing. That's a very um. Yeah, thing you don't really hear about that in um, in the states as far as um, you know going over and stealing people's culture. But um, yeah, it's just really crazy that she was able to have full control of that. Um, yeah, those conversations and those artifacts. Yeah, and again, just like you know, just a, a, not only a minority but a woman back in that day too mm-hmm. doing that. I mean, granted, they didn't know. Cause she said she was Portuguese, but I mean, just the fact and the, the fact that she got away with that too, because they didn't check. No, <laughs> they just, like, just like, like yeah, works for work works for me, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. floats your boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Says she Portuguese, she Portuguese. <laughs> like it. <laughs> we run around pulling um, what is that? That stupid Danny Lay song. <laughs> oh yeah, Yellow Bone. <laughs> Bro, I listened to that joint. I was mad. I even wasted 30 seconds picking it up. I'm like, what about what, what, what did I tell you, man? Mm-hmm. What is this trash? Trash. Like, trash. <sighs> Sorry, we don't we don't mean to uh pick on the light-skinned woman on uh Black History Month, but that song was terrible. Sorry. I, was, yeah. I was surprised she even released that joint. I mean, she never could sing, but like, come on, dude. Like well, the bonus what they want. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Well done, but oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> that is our Black History episode for the day. Um, next week we will try and get a guest on. Uh, we'll we'll make we'll, we'll let that be a surprise if it happens. But um, yeah. next week it'll be uh modern day entertainers, uh, entrepreneurs, and I think philanthropy. Right, right, Dave. Yes, philanthropy. Yes, philanthropy. But um, that's the show for today. We'll be on YouTube at 3.15 on Monday. Uh, Please like, comment, subscribe. Like I said last week, show us some support. Please. We need it. Please. Uh, (laughs) You can appreciate the person that did comment last week, too, by the way. You know who you are. Yeah. I I remember who you are, but I'm not going to say your name right here because you asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who you are. You you definitely know who you are. You can catch us on all podcast services, um, except SoundCloud and Pandora for now. Um, my social media page, Out of the Berg on IG, Out of the Berg Pod on Twitter. Uh, my personal page is at Kofi Peter underscore Chris. Um, Big Chris 5'7 on Twitter and 
Big Chris or Chris Kelly five seven on IG. And you can find me Avery at Avery Cooper capital K O O P A on IG. Yeah, like I say always to end, uh, stay blackity black, 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 and stay woke. Bye. Bye.